The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you a little money. It's my job, not just to entertain, but to teach, educate. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay, listen to me. Throw out your economic textbooks, trash the stock treatises, ban the bond histories. They don't matter anymore. Everything we thought we knew is wrong, or at least that's what today's action was saying. With the Dow gaining 305 points, the S&P jumping 1.11%, and then Nasdaq pole voting 1.31%. All right, what's so unnerving about that, about the tape? What is that about? Simple. The Dow Jones Industrial Averages hit a new high, right as interest rates cratered. The Dow's the most cyclical of the major indices. When it breaks records, that means the economy's supposed to be booming, correct? And when the economy's booming with strong inflation, interest rates are supposed to surge, not collapse like they did today. You can't have a boom and a bust at the exact same time, can you? Well, until today, until today, I would have said that's impossible. See, I am expecting a boom. Something I find more confirmation of every day. Just this morning, I interviewed Ed Bastian. He's the implacable CEO of Delta. He was going to squawk on the street. And he agreed with me that we could be on the cusp of the greatest boom in American history. Unlike me, Ed's not given to insane, or, or some would say inane, hyperbole. Suddenly, though, the bond market's behaving as though a boom is not only not in the cards, but maybe it. Maybe a huge slowdown is. Hey, so what's real? What's fake? Are we looking at a roaring 20s scenario or will we soon be dead in the water? In other words, is it time to rotate out of the industrials and swap into something more defensive? Something like the most hated group in the entire market. Something like healthcare? Surely they can't both be right, or can they? Before I get into this dilemma, I know many of you couldn't care less. If you only focus on electric vehicles, or maybe cryptocurrencies, or the gospel according to GameStop, the idea that interest rates could plunge while everything's, everyone's fretting about inflation, well, that, that's probably a real non-issue for you. 
These people are what I call single-issue investors. You know how single-issue voters only care about, say, uh, gun control or uh, taxes, uh, ignore everything else? A single-issue investor only cares about their own stock or their own asset, whether it be Dogecoin or non-edible tokens. But for professionals who collectively run trillions of dollars, the money men and women whose whims pretty much set stock prices, that's what they do. When they do this, the scenario that played out today is simply not supposed to happen. You can't have copper, oil, lumber, plastic, linerboard, freight, and housing all roaring while interest rates are dropping like an anvil off the Empire State Building. When we get this bizarro confluence, a monsoon in the proverbial stock market desert, it's because a left for dead sector made a remarkable comeback. I'm talking about healthcare, which somehow became the cheapest group in the market right in the middle of the pandemic and versus its history. It's incredibly cheap. This cohort has fallen so out of favor that it finally represented enormous value. It was just waiting for the signal to move. And at the signal, well, it happened. Given how monumental that move was, I bet it's far from over. Yet the Dow hit a new high based on strength in healthcare, not the cyclicals. First, though, let's set the scene so you know what the heck I'm talking about. For most of last year, the stay-at-home stocks roared, while the go-about-your-business stocks wallowed. But once we realized that Pfizer and Moderna vaccines were right around the corner last November, the great reopening stocks took off, and they haven't looked back since. All sorts of experts like to come on TV and frame this as a tug of war between growth stocks and value stocks. How many times have you heard that, right? With value roaring over the last six months. But you know what? I think they're being willfully obtuse, not unlike the warden in Shawshank. Value stocks are only value stocks when they're cheap. It's not a fixed category for heaven's sake. If you want to understand this move, it's not about growth versus value. It's about secular growth companies that can thrive in a weak economy versus cyclical growers that only do well when the economy's on fire. We didn't have the rotation into value, for heaven's sake. We had a rotation into cyclicals. You really can't call them value names anymore because they've done so much. While the secular growth stocks, well, they've been crushed. But today, that move stopped in its tracks. Money rotated back into the newly beaten down tech stocks. Yes, you know, the and uh, yeah, the real high growers. But it really rushed into the healthcare names. Yeah, healthcare, the most forlorn sector, punished endlessly. To the point where even Pfizer, a fabulous company, good yield, that's making a fortune from COVID vaccines, had been in retreat. Didn't matter. The group was out of style in the Wall Street fashion show. At least it wasn't until today. Yes, today the healthcare court co- cohort. Wow. Aided by except, it really all started in the morning. Excellent earnings from United Health Group. Yeah, UNH, the insurance provider, which also happens to be a component in the Dow Jones Industrial Average. On top of that. Oh, my God, this was something that just shocked me. Elliott Management, the brilliant activist hedge fund. It turns out that they've been building a significant stake in GlaxoSmithKline. Both stocks jumped about 4%. GSK. Wow. Whew. All right, anyway, the high spirits extended to the downtrodden Eli Lilly, where shareholders including my charitable trust, have suffered immeasurably the pain, the pain from uh, the vicious panning of the company's Alzheimer's drug. 
The rally also ignited Regeneron, which has a terrific uh, treatment for severe COVID that helps get people out of the hospital faster. Remember, this is what they gave Trump's. Uh, somehow, neither the CDC nor the NIH has gotten behind Regeneron's terrific drug. I think this is total negligence by the U.S. government. The governor of the COVID-besieged state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, sang its praises in a speech yesterday, giving the stock new life. CDC and NIH, will you stop putting the hate on Regeneron? All right, the hospital managed care, medical device, drug sucks. They all rallied hard today, too. Uh, How hard? Even the beleaguered Johnson & Johnson managed to go up. Now, the market didn't overlook the fact that we got some blowout retail sales numbers, allowing many retailers to roar. And uh, and because interest rates went down, signaling lower inflation, the secular growth tech stocks that we all know and love, Twilio, Okta, RingCentral, how can I help you? They just soared. That's what happens when interest rates go down big. On the other hand, the banks gave up the ghost, not because they put up bad numbers, and numbers were all real good, more than that later, uh, but because the smart money was betting that Fed Chief Jay Powell would have to raise short-term interest rates to combat inflation. That's such a cliche. And rate hikes are good news for the banks. But when you see bond yields plummeting, that suggests those rate hikes may not be coming anytime soon, so the banks can just get viciously pummeled. Where do I come out? I still believe Jay Powell is right. The current bout of inflation will prove to be temporary, meaning interest rates can keep falling. When nearly everyone is betting the same way, like how everyone thought rates were headed higher when we came in today, the market tends to make them look like knuckleheads. So I'm calling today a real knucklehead day. Or to put it another way, I think that the left behind healthcare stocks are now coming back to life at the expense of the cyclical growth plays. And you should grab one before they all really take off into the, just, it's the right firmament. Bottom line, the healthcare cohort has wandered in the desert long enough, and they're now surfing the Dow Jones River, taking it to new heights, even as they were supposed to be drowning in the deep, never to be seen again. I say we take calls. I say we go to Gisela in Florida. Gisela. Gisella. You know what? I think we should, as much as I love Gisella and think she's fabulous, I think we should go to Francis in New Jersey. Francis. Hey, Jim. Booyah from New Jersey, even though I'm not even sure what that means. Yes. Well, no one is. Um, It's just been used for 16 years, but if you can figure it out, let me know. (laughs) In January, the chairman of Grand Pack was on your show. And he talked about his company's efforts to reduce environmental impact by replacing petrochemical yes. packaging. Yes. And he was going to uh-huh. be using sustainable properties like paper. So we support that effort and we bought the stock, but we're yes. not, you know, it's not really going anywhere. So I'm just seeing what you Well, I mean, because that, uh, Francis, I, I hate to ever dispute a fellow New Jerseyan, but it is up 40% for the year in I think our 40% is pretty good. I mean, it's, it's obviously not as good as Bitcoin. But then again, it's actually something that's good. Anyway, thank you. The left behind healthcare stocks are now coming back at, to life at the expense of the much beloved until today secular growth plays. And the cyclical growth plays, I got to tell you, I think they're going to be benched for more healthcare for a couple days now, not a week or two. So uh, you got to get one. Pick one. I like Eli Lilly, because everybody hates it. Oh, man, buddy, tonight, imagine waking up, brushing your teeth, and quickly swabbing your nose or where your tonsils used to be 
test for the coronavirus, whether you feel sick or not. This reality just got closer as the FDA approved two rapid antigen tests to be sold over the counter. I'm positive and not falsely. I'm going to talk with Dr. Michael Minna about what it means. Then earnings season kicked off with big banks reporting. I'm going to parse through those numbers and tell you what really happened. And give me an A, give me an E, give me an O. It's one of the hottest stocks in retail, and the CEO joins me tonight. Yeah, exclusive. I mean, like, really super-duper exclusive. And that's the CEO of American Eagle Outfitters. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. We've done a great job of getting people vaccinated in this country. But we're not out of the woods yet, especially with the J&J vaccine on hold until we figure out this blood clotting issue. Only about a quarter of the population has been fully vaccinated. We've got these crazy new COVID variants flying all over the place, and people are starting to lower their guard. There are now places all over the world where new cases are exploding, including our own Michigan. This is why we've spent the past year pushing for more widespread testing, especially the cheap rapid antigen tests, the ones you can take at home. It's not too late to roll out mass testing as we head towards one last severe outbreak. Do not take it from me. 
Let's check in with our favorite public health expert, Dr. Michael Minna. He's a professor at Harvard's T.H. Chan School of Public Health. To get a clear picture on the pandemic, Dr. Minna, welcome back to Bad Money. Well, thanks very much. Happy to be here. All right, so, Doc, uh, yesterday, 75,267 cases of COVID in this country. New, 932 people died. Does that have to happen? This doesn't need to be happening. Uh, we continue to focus exclusively, essentially, on the vaccines. And that, that's important, absolutely. But we have had, uh, for months and months now, since the middle of last year, other options on the table, as you've mentioned, frequent use of rapid tests, which themselves can help to stop the spread of outbreaks and stop them from becoming uh, outbreaks and continuing to spread across this country. Well, I have, uh, you were kind enough to send me a step-by-step guide for COVID-19 self-testing. This is a a British uh, document. You sent me a bunch of them. I do it every morning. I want to be sure that I'm not going to get anybody sick. Why don't corporations do this? Because if they did it, holy cow, things would come down massively. Yeah, well, many, many companies uh, around the world are starting to do this. Many governments are actually starting to use frequent testing as a means out of this pandemic. In the United States, we've been quite slow to get these types of tests authorized. We've been overly cautious about potentially putting a frequent test in people's homes. Uh, we should have been able to make these accessible and available to all Americans many months ago. These are simple to use tests. There's a whole plethora of different kinds of these tests that are now available across the world. And the U.S. just needs to really start thinking through other means to keep this virus under control besides a sole focus on uh, the vaccine, which, as we know, is working, uh, but it's not going to be an immediate overnight uh, solution here. Now, I do know that uh, coronavirus update, FDA continues to advance over-the-counter and other screening uh, test developments that were were there. I mean, will I be able to go to CVS or Walgreens and finally pick up a very low-cost test that I can test myself every day? So the FDA did, uh, after all this time, they actually did authorize two tests for two of these really inexpensive rapid tests for over-the-counter use. Uh, One was the Abbott test and one was the Quidel test. Uh, I have one of these Abbott, I'm, I don't work for Abbott, but I, I have one of these uh, boxes here. This is what they look like. So I think people can start to uh, think about um, how to potentially, you know, that they'll be able to go to the store and actually pick up some of these tests and be able to purchase them right there on the shelf and bring them home and, and use them. That will happen. But what we need to happen first is we need to scale up the availability very much. We also need to uh, ideally have the government subsidize the cost so that the average American isn't paying much money for these tests and can actually use them on a frequent basis. Well, how about this great city, CityCorp initiative? That seems to be another way where we could make some progress. Yeah, America's uh, companies are wanting to really push this forward because they want to get their businesses back uh, in, in session safely. And so the, the, the companies like Citibank are really looking at how do we, uh, how does America, how does our industrial complex essentially bring employees back into the office safely, uh, even when transmission is ongoing? Uh, that is a study to assess whether or not these simple rapid tests can work 
uh, in people's homes. And so Citibank employees are using the tests every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And uh, if they're positive, they don't go to work. And ideally, this well, is an go. approach that's going to stop spread in the workplace. Well, look, I got to tell you, Dr. Minnie, you've been spot on this whole way. And we would have just, if we, our country listened to you, I have to tell you, there'd be so, just, just such a different profile against this illness. So I want to thank you for coming on. That's Dr. Michael Minna, a Harvard School of Public Health assistant professor of epidemiology who has taught me more than anyone else about this pandemic. Thank you so much, doctor, for coming on Mad Money. Absolutely. Mad Money's back there for the Coming up, don't be overwhelmed by the torrent of 10 Qs. Kramer navigates earnings season starting with banks next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Earnings season kicked into gear yesterday with the usual triple header of big banks. That's J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and Wells Fargo. Then today we got more color from Bank of America and Citigroup. These tend to set the tone for the rest of the entire reporting period. And this time I was worried because the financials had run so much over the past six months. But man, the numbers were really good. I mean, fantastic. Goldman shot the lights out with the best quarter of the bunch. J.P. Morgan gave you some excellent results, even if the market reacted harshly, setting the stock down nearly 2%. I think the sellers got that way wrong. And while Wells Fargo's quarter was merely okay, nobody expected anything great from the worst of the big banks, which is why that stock jumped 5.5% on the news. Again, I was pretty worried about this group coming into earnings season, but they delivered, taking that concern off the table. So what do we do? Well, let's take them one by one, figure them out, starting with Goldman Sachs. Now, this stock only rallied 2% yesterday, and I think that's actually a little ridiculous because as Chris Kotowski covered this group forever from Opco said, Goldman had a pretty good year this quarter. But um the numbers were so strong, I'm bringing back the old name. I'm going to go with it. I'm calling them Golden Slacks. These guys had record revenues, more than double what they made last year, and up 44% for the previous quarter. Even better, Goldman racked up record earnings, $18.60 per share. Wall Street was only looking for 10 bucks and change. Give me a break. That is a staggering beat. Their annualized return on equity came in at 31%. 
Highest level since 2009. A lot of people thought they could never do more than 10%. When you drill down, Goldman is indeed firing on all cylinders. It's not a cliche. It's just the truth. The investment banking business is booming. Record backlog, IPOs, debt underwriting, merger advisory. Yes, backs. It's all terrific. Global markets from Golden Slack's division is booming. Best numbers in over a decade. Strength across equities as well as fixed income, currencies, and commodities, also called FIC. Asset management, just on fire. Record net revenues from equity investments, consumer and wealth management. Yep, booming. Another record quarter. What more can I say? Before the quarter, analysts were expecting Goldman to earn $34.22 this year. Now they're thinking about $41.29. So figure this out. Even with the stock at $339, it could have a lot more upside if it traded at 10 times earnings. This would be a $413 stock, 10 times earnings. It's the premier investment bank. I'm betting that is where it's headed, especially now that Goldman's allowed to buy back stock, repurchasing $2.7 billion worth of shares last quarter. Next up, a healthy dividend boost, maybe, if the regulators let them have it. By the way, uh, the window for insider sales is right about now, so be careful. The stock drops, but that will be your opportunity. Bye, bye, bye. Next, J.P. Morgan, the largest bank in America. To me, uh, this was the second best report yesterday, although the market seemed to disagree. Investors sold the news. But make no mistake, the numbers were fantastic. They, they delivered $33 billion in managed revenue, up 14% year-over-year, when Wall Street was only looking for $28.5 billion. Meanwhile, J.P. Morgan earned up earned $4.50 per share. That's up 477% versus last year, up 19% from the previous quarter. The analysts were only looking for $2.77. You know, I call that a 62% beat. The big sources of strength here were corporate and investment banking, as well as asset management, two divisions where, where there's a lot of overlap with something like Goldman. So then why did the stock sell off? Well, here's the thing. Unlike Goldman, J.P. Morgan is pretty much evenly split between ordinary banking and investment banking. But the ordinary banking numbers carry more weight because they're less volatile. The vast bulk of this beat came from investment banking, though, along with $5.2 billion reserve release, something else they don't get more credit for because it's one off. Plus, there was some softness on the traditional banking side. Yeah, loan growth was tepid. J.P. Morgan firm-wide net interest income came in weaker than expected, while average loans of the consumer and community banking actually they, they declined 7% year-over-year as Americans continue to clean up their personal balance sheets. They don't need loans. They're, they're flush. My view, I'm not particularly worried about those softer numbers at all, in part because debit and credit sales were up 9%. More importantly, though, while the banks would benefit from a rate hike or two, they've got a pretty good situation right now. Low short-term rates coupled with rising long-term rates, meaning, except for today, meaning they can pay you next to nothing for your deposits and then get bigger risk-free returns from the U.S. Treasuries. I got to tell you, this one's on sale. You got to buy it. And look, the fabulous investment banking numbers, they're not going to just vanish overnight, for heaven's sake. There's really not that much that's episodic here. I think the pullback in J.P. Morgan stock is a buying opportunity, plain and simple. And clearly somebody agrees because the stock started rebounding today. J.P. Morgan, I'm pounding the table. All right, how about Wells Fargo, which gave you the worst quarter yesterday, but paradoxically had the best performing stock up more than 5%. Even so, when I, still, when I say worst, they still delivered a 35-cent earnings beat on a 70-cent basis with higher-than-expected sales up 2% versus last year. When you drill down here, though, these results were far from perfect. 
Now, Wells had uh, some truly ugly average loan numbers, down 8% in consumer banking, down 19% in commercial banking, even down 5% in corporate investment banking. Remember, uh, what we saw with J.P. Morgan, the investment banking business was fabulous, but traditional banking was a lot less impressive. Well, Wells Fargo is predominantly an old-fashioned consumer bank and a worse one uh, than J.P. Morgan. The addition of a big chunk of that earnings beat came from a release of $1.6 billion in reserves. That's what these company can do because things are better. Uh, and, and they no longer needed them to cover loan losses. Again, that's a one-off. And on top of that, their expenses really remain stubbornly high. I'm very surprised. But Wells Fargo stock roared yesterday because this is viewed as more of a turnaround story than a banking story, which is why we actually own it for my Chapel Trust, which you can follow along by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club. Now, I keep telling you it's a better buy than J.P. Morgan because the expectations are much lower for Wells. And yesterday, they absolutely cleared that low bar. 18 months ago, Charlie Scharf, a banking veteran, tough guy, took over as CEO, and he is doing everything in his power to right the ship. He doesn't need to deliver perfect numbers yet. He just needs to show his investors that he's making progress. And that's exactly what he did. There's so much more room here to make money. Charlie knows that. Finally, let's talk Bank of America and Citigroup, the two that reported this morning. Both stocks got hit today, but that has more to do with the curious decline in interest rates. I say curious because that's not normally what you'd expect when we got a great jobless claims number of fantastic retail sales. Citigroup gave you a nice upside surprise, although most of the earnings came uh, came from a, the beat came from a massive $3.9 billion reserve release. There's that thing again. This is the kind of one-off positive nobody seems to be getting much credit for. Just like the banks that reported yesterday, City's got a lot of strength in the investment banking side, but traditional consumer banking was a lot less impressive. So what matters here? First off, the company's making a big push into asset management, especially overseas. It's got a really strong brand overseas. Smart move. Second, Citi's expense ratio was substantially better than expected, something we've been hoping for at last. They're also shutting down a lot of money-losing geographies, something only a brand-new CEO, Jane Frazier, can really do. If I had to rank this quarter, you know what? I'd put it right below J.P. Morgan's. Last but not least, let's talk about one that I really liked that didn't get any respect at all. Bank of America. I don't know if you saw him on Wilf, Brian Wayne on Wilf. I thought it was pretty good, Wilf and Sarah. Uh, yeah, the closing bell. Um, they, see, they, they, it got the worst reaction from the market. And I'm, I'm going to say that the market's wrong. It tumbled nearly 3% today. I thought it was insulting. Even though they posted a, a top and bottom line uh beat like everyone else. I mean, it was good. Bank of America has the most exposure to rising interest rates, though, because they've got an enormous deposit base and uh, not much of an investment banking business, or at least this quarter. But their net interest income dropped 16%, and then Treasury yields got hammered today, hence the sell-off. That said, there was nothing particularly surprising in the quarter itself. Do not despair. If we get a couple of rate hikes, this is the one to own, and we're going to get them eventually. So put it away. Don't sell. Here's the bottom line. We got one less thing to worry about now that earnings season's gotten rolling. The banks are doing pretty darn good, even if their stocks don't necessarily reflect that fact. I am still bullish on the financials, especially the investment banks like Golden Slacks and the turnaround plays like Wells Fargo. After these numbers, the banks have gotten dirt cheap. Believe me, they will not stay that way. I'm thinking of going to Zach in Virginia. Zach! What's up, Jim? First, I want to start with a big booyah. I like that. That's a good way to bring things out. What's happening? (laughs) Oh, not much. I'm just calling about uh, Square, ticker SQ. I I have a position in it, and I'm looking possibly to add some more because I think not only 
did it get a boost from Bitcoin, but I also see it as a nice reopening stock. So my question to you is, should I buy some more or should I jump ship? Man, you got horse sense. If you would ask me what to do with it, I would say it's got that Bitcoin that is just unbelievable in their Square app. And then it's got the, uh, it is a great reopening story. I think it's going to have substantially better than expected earnings. Zach, I want you to buy more. I rarely say that after such a big run. And also, of course, booyah. All right, I'm bullish with the financials. All right, I know it didn't look like today, but today was wrong. The banks have gotten dirt cheap. And they won't stay that way. They got cheap sealers. Even though their stocks went up, the earnings went up much more. Hey, much more mad money ahead. American Eagle Outfitters has the hottest retail concept in the mall. And the mall is not dead. CEO joins me tonight to talk about a very rare interview. Don't miss my exclusive. Then, Bitcoin, NFT, Ethereum. They're creating plenty of buzz in the market. But how important are they really? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Last night, American Eagle Outfitters pre-announced some incredibly strong results for the first quarter, which still has two weeks left. It's ahead of their appearance at the J.P. Morgan Retail Roundup Conference today, and that's the big conference for retail. We've been following this teen apparel chain ever since last summer, when my favorite retail analyst, Matthew Boss, over at J.P. Morgan, started pushing it as part of his lag trade. That's L Brands, American Eagle Outfitters, and Gap. That's why I started recommending American Eagle Outfitters six months ago at 15 smackers. Since then, it surged to 34 bucks. And honestly, at the numbers we saw last night, I, it isn't done. I think he's got more. Management says first quarter revenue should exceed $1 billion. That's up substantially versus the first quarter of 2019. Yes, and that is the closest pre-COVID comparison. Even better, operating income has more than doubled over the same period. No wonder the stock jumped 4% today. I think we should take a closer look with Jay Schottenstein. He's the executive chairman and CEO of American Eagle Outfit. It's so exciting to hear more about this pre-announcement and his company's prospects. Mr. Schottenstein, congratulations on the res- results. Welcome to Mad Money. And how did you do it? Well, Jim, I thank you for that. Uh, we did it uh, for the past. Uh, we've been doing it for the past like year. Uh, our people have been very focused. Our stores have been a very welcoming place. Uh, when you go in our store, you feel safe to shop. Uh, many of the consumers love shopping in our store. They feel safe. Our, our merchandise is right. Uh, we've been on uh, Target. Uh, you look at Aerie, which is the hottest, uh, hottest, hottest store in the country right now. We, have, we only have 26 consecutive quarters of double-digit comps. And we're about to have our 27th uh, quarter, which may be closer to triple-digit comps. And meanwhile, American Eagle is the uh, number one brand for 15 to 25-year-olds for denim, number one for ladies for denim, and number three for men for denim. So we've been doing it for a period, for, for like a long period of time. Well, let me ask you, a lot of people say the mall is dead. These numbers are better than almost every direct-to-consumer uh, catalog, stay-at-home web. How are you able to buck that trend? Or are all the rumors of the demise of the mall completely false? 
No, the mall's not dead. The, the mall's still alive. It's just, it's just right now people people are still going and shopping, but but people have to be careful. Uh, in, in our stores, like I said said a second ago, we practice uh, uh, you know proper proper protocol. We have, we're operating. It's amazing the sales we're doing. Like like this quarter, uh, you know, all the stores are comping, and we're doing it at a fifty percent capacity. So, uh, you know, we're very excited about, you know, about the future of the mall. And, and we think that when, uh, when things get better and the pandemic goes away, we're still in the pandemic, but when it goes away, uh, you know, we could be looking at the roaring 20s. Oh, my. You're, you, you and I are totally in sync. That's exactly what I said to Ed Bastian from Delta today. This is the Roaring Twenties. Now, one thing I think people don't understand is the denim cycle. We had Levi's on recently. The denim cycle is the most powerful I have ever seen, Jay. Well, we're, we're, we're so excited about the denim cycle because we are, we've been pushing denim for, since, since 1992. And, uh, and and like I said a second ago, we, we're, we're the number one brand for the 15 to 25 year olds. We're the number one for ladies denim. And with all the silhouette changes going, we think we'll get the we think we'll get the biggest benefit of it. So we're very excited about it. All right, let's talk about the brand that my kids love. OK, and my kids are in their 20s. This is not they're not teenagers. Uh, Airy uh, jammies. Well, that's what. That's what my daughter calls them. Uh, leisure wear, stuff that they can hang out in, but also go out. I mean, this brand, which is probably unknown to many of our viewers, you've got to give us a little explanation of how this is right now, I think, the most powerful brand in all of apparel. Well, if you look at our name, Airy, we go Airy Real. We were, we were one of the architects of the body positivity movement. We were the first retailer to not to not touch up the models. We have a uh, a team that's led by Jet by Jen Foyle, who are so dedicated to this brand. They are the brand. I mean, they live it, they breathe it, they think it, and 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 it's and it's real. I, I mean, we uh, we encourage people to feel good about themselves, to to be optimistic, and and to have self love. And uh, and the team is really focused. I mean, um, it, you know, part part of Aerie, uh, we have a new line called Offline. That we're opening up the stores. It's Offline by Aerie, which is going to be in the athleisure area. And we have certain leggings right now we can't keep in stock. As soon as they come in, they go right out. As a matter of fact, uh, it was amazing that these 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 uh, leggings took off so fast. We get 50,000 in a week. They ship them Monday from overseas. Uh, they arrive Thursday in a distribution center. By Saturday, they'd be in the customer's home and never even hit the store. Wow. Well, look, Jay, I got to congratulate. I mean, this is stunning. And I love why. I think the idea of no pressure, I think the idea of which, which my kids like, my kids just like, like it. They just feel like it fits and makes them feel great. And that is something that you've done that few others have accomplished. Jay Schottenstein, Chairman CEO of American Eagle. Congratulations on just an amazing couple of years, not just a quarter. Thank you. Mad Money's back after the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master Jay? The chill man is in the house. He's happy. The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns. It is time. It's 
top of the night round. Good ones, Bob Rock. Of course, one of those hits. Bob Rock, give me his website. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Top of the lightning round. Oh, my. Gisela in Florida. Gisela. Hey, Kramer. How's it going? Couldn't be better. How about you? all right. Good, good. Finally got on. So here we go. My big question. My my family invested in some JetBlue when it was at its lowest. And now it's been oscillating between the 20s and 21 for some time. We sold some off, but we still own some. Do you think that we should sell the rest that we have? Or is there a chance that it could reach a new high in the summer when everyone feels confident with the vaccinations and starts flying again? Right. Gisella and Gisella, listen to me. This is the halcyon moment for JetBlue. I want you to own it. And if it went down even $2, I would buy more. How about we go to Ed in Texas now? Ed. Yeehaw, Jimmy Chill. How's it going? I like that. Chill Man has been fighting with the people in the mentions call. Not. What's going on? <laughs> hey, I got a stock. It's got a uh, pretty low P ratio, a good dividend. And uh, it's been exploding ever since the pandemic started. I wanted to see what you thought about Big Lots, ticker symbol Big. Big Lots is not as bad as it used to be. It's in this market, it's high praise. It's a buy. Gary in Illinois. Gary. Yeah, hi, Jim. Um, I bought JMIA at $60 per share, and it's now around 34 do I dollar cost average or what do you recommend? No, no, no. I'm not a fan. You got to go to a, you know to another money. You know, maybe angry money or you know crazy money. But mad money does not like Jumia, and I've got to tell you, it's a cut loss situation. Oh, I am so not done. I am going to go to Lydell in Mississippi. Lydell. How are you, Mr. Quayman? I am calling the. I am MVP doing well. Material. How about you? Well, booyah to you. Uh, this stock is going down along with all the specs. I like Latinsky. I know that this was a bad day for this group. It's so bad. I mean, look at QuantumScape. Hey, you know what? Let me give you a twofer. We need, right now, Jagdeep Singh on because to, uh, QuantumScape trades with, with MP and it's, they're trading bad. We need more information. I need to go to Bob in Maryland. Bob! Well, Mr. Kramer, it's good to talk with you, and I want to thank you for being so generous in sharing your insights. I'm calling about an oncological testing company called Neogenomics, and I'm wondering what you think about it. Yes, I know it, and i got to tell you, not only do I like it, but after today's buy of PPD by Thermo Fisher and Mark Casper, none smarter, I think this new genomics, I'd like to have them on air. Definitely because they're from Fort Myers, Florida, one of my absolute favorite towns. But yes, I like new genomics. Let's go to Chris in Illinois. Chris! Hey, what's up, Jimbo? What's up? Not much. How about you? Yeah, I, I, all right. Same old. Hey, buddy, what's your opinion on Old Republic, ORI? Not much. All right, now, no one has asked you about Old Republic, I think, in the 37 years I've been doing this show. And it is a, it's really only 16, it is a great company. Absolutely great. I'm so glad it's got a good yield. It's got a good balance sheet. It is well run. You got a keeper there, my friend. I'm going to Dave in Ohio. Dave. Mr. Chillman, how we doing? It's Chillman. The Chillman be chilling. 
What's going on? I'm Cleveland! Where, did, where John Rockefeller was yeah, from! How, Euclid yeah, Avenue. Go ahead. Not for long, though. <laughs> Uh, no, so no, this is a utility no. stock, but Yuri hit, causing a one-time material adverse impact of around a billion dollars. The stock is Vistra Corp. My friend, my friend, you are so close to American Electric Power, and you come to me with Vista Corp, you're going with AEP. And that, ladies is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Are we living in interesting times? Dangerous times? Encouraging times? Ridiculous times? How about just the times? We keep trying to characterize this moment, to judge it by the standards of the past, because we see so much strangeness day after day. Believe me, I get it. We have people trying to put prices on things that didn't exist. Think non-fungible tokens. Others invest with messianic zeal, pointing at things that are up huge, like Bitcoin, and telling us the rally's only just begun. There are signs that inflation is raging with lumber and copper prices roaring. We have housing prices through the roof. Retail sales are booming up nearly 10% last month. And we just got the lowest jobless claims number since the pandemic hit, sending the Dow and the S&P to new highs. Well, doesn't that mean Fed Chief Jay Powell will be forced to slam on the brakes to prevent the economy from overheating and inflation taking off? As I said at the top, that's increasingly becoming the consensus view, at least in the media, and to a slightly lesser extent, Wall Street itself. There's a sense that everything's gone completely crazy. Haywire! And this will all end in tears. But when I hear those worries, I want to take the other side of the trade. Why? First off, only about half of Americans even own some stock, right? I mean, some way, shape, or form. Many of them keep these holdings locked up in their 401ks. That means the rally hasn't impacted most people. They either don't have stocks or they're buying and holding investors who never take profits. So higher stock prices really aren't particularly inflationary. Second, let's stop kidding ourselves about cryptocurrency. We don't know how much money is really in crypto right now, but we do know it's concentrated in very few hands. Again, not that inflationary. Third, uh, contrivances like non-fungible tokens are still tiny. They just get a lot of airtime because, well, they're fun to talk about. I was involved recently in an auction for a Time magazine cover. It was the fabled Is God Dead issue from April 6, 1966. I decided to bid for it as an experiment, which meant I had to go to my Coinbase wallet and buy some Ethereum because they wanted it to be bid in Ethereum and then bid for rights to the cover. No, not, not the commercial rights. Just an easily copied image that happened to have a digital serial number. I put it in a bid, a 20 grand worth of Ethereum. And for the longest time, it looked like I was about to get it. But right at the end, someone else came in with 100 grand worth of Ethereum. I mean, is that what an iconic NFT, NFT is really worth? Why not 30 grand? How about 50 grand? How about 140 grand? Or as my wife Lisa said, how about nothing? She was horrified as I bid 20 grand for what exactly? If you can't use it, if there's no exclusivity, what's the point of it other than to say it's got chain block or blockchain or whatever? To her, I was throwing away a lot of money. I tried to explain, look, if I had gotten that NFT at 20 grand, I might have been able to flip it to a guy who wanted to pay 100 grand. Of course, if anyone said that to me about a stock, I'd read them the riot act. 
What if you buy it and then it does nothing or it goes down? The whole thing is an exercise in the greater fool theory. Less non-fungible tokens than non-fungible tokens. Tulips, right? Tokens. I like that. Uh, Kind of true. Non-fungible tulips. I'm wrong. Uh, Have you seen the tulips that just came up in the last couple days? Like that Time magazine cover. They're priceless. But let's step back for a second. What matters here is that NFTs are so small with so few people involved that they have virtually no impact on anything. I mean, it's just really fun to talk about. And honestly, that captures this moment in a nutshell. There's a lot of stuff that's very exciting, but very little of it has much to do with the real economy. I am tempted to invoke Macbeth here. The whole crypto story is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And I say that as somebody who likes crypto. You know what's not signifying nothing? How about the real economy? There are 7.9 million fewer Americans counted as employed than there were before the pandemic. 7.9. The unemployment rate remains almost double where it was at the beginning of last year. Only about a quarter of Americans have been fully vaccinated. A little more than a third have gotten at least one dose. That number won't be going up as fast as we'd hoped because of this odd pause for the J&J vaccine. Those numbers, well, they're what really matters, not the Bitcoin or Ethereum or NFT rallies or even the gains in the S&P 500. Everything else is, well, it's a well-contained sideshow. There's no speculative mania. There's simply a series of exciting developments. But those developments aren't putting people to work or even creating anything aside from carbon emissions. In short, it's a big mistake to worry about irrational exuberance from this stuff until a lot more people have been put to work. And we just aren't there yet. And we should stop pretending that these paper gains are putting real dinner on the table for millions of struggling Americans. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. And I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.